Hi friends, it's that time again today. Welcome to Moment with Miranda. We are gonna be talking about life. And I'm not talking about any life, but the abundant life that Jesus has come to give us. So if you are done allowing the enemy of your soul to steal what God has given you freely in his son, then this moment is for you. And I wanna invite you to stick around as together we gaze into the word. You are very welcome to Moment with Miranda. And this time that is set aside every time that we come together to go to the Word of God and to look into it like we would look into a mirror. It is my desire, my personal desire, to not just be a hearer of the Word, but a doer of the Word as well. And it's through hearing and seeing the Word for what it is and seeing Jesus in it that we can learn to do just that hear and do. And during these moments, we look together to see a way to live, to see the truth that makes us free, and to possess the life that changes us. And all of this is in and through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. He was the Word and He is the Word. He was the word at the beginning and he was the word sent to man in the flesh. Now as his followers, we are told to flesh out or mirror that image and that image is his. And each day of our lives takes us one step closer to being revealed to be just like him. This is our hope. This is why we purify our hearts. This is why we come to the word of God. This is our anchor. And these are the moments where together we are encouraged and hopefully we're changed. I wanna share with you what's on my heart today. I tend to think that what God is speaking to us personally, oftentimes can be applicable to many. And the Word of God tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. Sometimes I like to say that faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing as often as, as and as many times as it takes for me to actually hear what the Spirit of God would say to me through His Word. I believe that as I walk and am being changed, that I can also encourage others in what I'm seeing, even if I don't have the fullness of it yet, even if I still stumble when I try to practice and walk it out myself. And even as my own mouth speaks and hears the truth, I can be continually becoming free. So today I've had a verse just rolling over and over again in my head and in my heart, really just in all of me. And it's something that I've really needed to hear. It's familiar. And yet, as much as I've heard it, I wonder if I've really heard it. And I want to know it more. It's found in John chapter 10, verse 10. And it reads, the thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
but I have come, this is Jesus speaking, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's what this moment is today, friends. It's called that you might have life. Many of us know this scripture. We ourselves can quote it without even thinking about it a lot of times. The promise is life and abundant life. And I want us to notice that this life that is promised to us is a twofold life. It's a life that is eternal in nature, first and foremost. My eternal salvation and heavenly destination is God's plan. This is why he came. He came to make the dead live again. He came to reunite mankind with himself. The scripture tells us that God is not willing, it's not his desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. It is because of his goodness that man is led to repentance. And eternal life is knowing him and his son, Jesus Christ. It seems very simple and elementary, but I feel that I should say it anyway. God loves life. He came to give life. And any life that there is, is because God himself has given it. It's not random. It's not accidental. It is purposed life. I recently heard some pretty interesting scientific facts about life. For many who have engaged in the abortion debate, this is what there's a lot of conflict over. When does life actually begin? Is it at conception? Is it at the first heartbeat? How can we know when something is actually living? And who is it that gives the life? Do man and woman solely on their own have the power to create life because of a physical act? Or is there more involved? Now we know that not every physical act creates life. We know that just because two people can make a life doesn't mean that they will. We also know that things can go wrong and not produce like they were physically intended to, no matter how much we desire or long for a child. But the reality is, is that we were made to reproduce or make life. We also know that we cannot will when that life will be. If this is so, is it unlucky or accidental or because of desire that human life is formed? This is where some of the facts about life and conception that I heard made me pause in wonder of the timing and the plan of God. In the human woman's body cycle, she produces an egg each and every month. 
if that egg isn't fertilized, then it's going to be released from her body in the form of her monthly cycle. The viability of that egg to be fertilized is only a relatively short time frame. It's from 12 to 24 hours. That is the window of fertility for an egg. For the man, his sperm, depending on viability, once it's released, it can live within the female reproductive system for up to five days. That's pretty long, but it has to be there within the 12 to 24 hour period where also her egg happens to be. Alone, neither one, the egg or the sperm, can make life. Pretty simple, right? <laughs> they each, in a way, have a life and a lifespan of their own, but they cannot recreate on their own. So what it comes down to is a window and viability, 12 to 24 hours. Think about the precision of that and the timing. And we cannot make that happen on its own. Now, science, because of knowledge and ability, has made ways to help people in this process, allowing many that have longed to be parents become parents. But the presence of both egg and sperm, even in the perfect condition, exactly where it's supposed to be, is not a guarantee of a baby. There is still an outside force that says life. As Christians, we say that there is a God saying, let there be, and there is. Friends, can you just pause and wonder with me for a minute? Like we can, I wonder about that, but also wonder of God's creative genius in his intricate purpose. So why do I start with this point when I'm talking about life? Because if there was a question at all in your mind of the purpose and the viability of your life, let me tell you that you can settle, that you are way too intentional to be a mistake, an accident, or a curse. No matter how exactly you got here, your life has purpose. And God said in that exact moment, let it be. God is life and he is the giver of it. The prophet Jeremiah, he spoke of this. He said, before you formed me in the belly, you knew me. In fact, God is telling this to Jeremiah. He's saying, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came out of the womb, I chose you and called you and made you a prophet to the nations. David said in Psalm 139 that his very substance was not hidden from God when he was made in secret. When he was curiously woven in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes, he says, God, saw my substance. And in, all, in your book, all of me, in all of the days of my life that you purposed were fashioned before 
I began to live a single one of them. God gives natural life and not only natural, but also spiritual. We can see if we shift and look to the New Testament in the scripture that James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. The Father who is out in the open, brilliant and on display, brilliant on display for all to see, that there's no changing in him. That it was from his own will that he birthed us through the word of truth so that we could be a kind of first fruits of all creation. And not only does James make us aware of this, but if you need another one to say, John the apostle says in his gospel that as many of us that have received Christ, to us he gave the power to become sons of God even those who believe on his name. Those who were born, not by the joining of parents or by natural means alone or by man's desire, but born of God, born out of God's very own eternal seed and God's desire for family. My natural life and my eternal life were not my own decision. They were an intention of God. If that statement maybe makes you think that I'm saying that we have no choice in the matter, that whatever's going to be is going to be, and there is a predestined, elect, certain group of people that not all have the access to become, then you're mistaken because that is not what I'm saying. It's my personal belief and the way that I understand scripture at this point that all have the opportunity to know God because we all have been predestined and elected to be known by him, but not all will choose to know him in return. This is why there will be many that say, Lord, Lord, and he was going to say, Depart from me, I never knew you. John says that as many as received Christ and believed on his name, that they are the ones who were empowered to become the sons of God. That not only have they been given a natural life, but now through the power of the Spirit, they have been birthed a new birth into the family and into the kingdom of God. Whether we receive Christ or not, we all have an eternal life. But the born again life, the one who has been born again and chosen to believe on what Christ has done and who he is, it is their choice to spend eternity with him. Those who refuse are choosing an eternity separate. So Jesus came that we might have life and life eternal. But the scripture also says that we might have abundant life. Now, this word abundant means more than one could expect to the full till it overflows. It means in the sense of beyond super abundant in quantity and superior in quality. This is abundance. By implication, it means excessive. 
And as a noun, it means exceedingly, abundantly, above, more than, and very highly beyond measure. This is the life that Jesus comes to give. It's quite a descriptive kind of a life. The question that we must ask ourselves, though, is, is this kind of life specifically for my eternal destination only, or is it a life for now as well? Is it one that I should anticipate in the sweet by and by, or can I enjoy some of that life today? That life that is exceedingly and highly above and beyond measure, superior in quality and quantity. I think we can get a pretty good answer to this question if we look at what comes just before. See, the scripture says that they might have life. The use of the word might could insinuate that it may or it may not happen. If that is the case, then is there a way that we can disqualify ourselves from that life? If so, how do we know that we're on the best track for pursuing it? Can I negate myself from having abundant life or even more daunting? What if God chooses who gets the abundant life and I'm one of the ones that he knows doesn't need it, so I don't get it? It's weird questions, but I have to tell you, this is how my mind processes. And I can talk myself out of good things that God wants to give me for fear that they might not be for me. But let's step away from that and just look at verb usage in this verse. See, it says might have. This is a present active subjunctive. That means that it is potential of life now. But the might have is not based on whether or not he wants us to have it, but rather whether or not we say yes to it. See, Jesus is not withholding his life from some and not from others. It's us who refuse at times to receive it, thinking that Maybe it's not for me. He came that we might have. Now, this word have is a word meaning to hold, literally or figuratively. To wear, to take possession of, to hold to. It has the idea of taking something in the hand as your own. If this is the case, Jesus came to give us something. The thief came to steal and to kill and to destroy, to take away what was given. But Christ came to add to, to give us something. And not just something one day, but something to hold in the hand now for any who will receive it and possess it by faith. There's a promise with this verse of a present possession of a life that is not only viable, but it's vibrant. It may not look the same as everyone else's, but in the middle of what is ours, there is an abundance of himself. Because life is not just what we have, but it's who we have. 
in the middle of the life that Jesus gives us, there is an ability to not just live, but also to multiply that life that we are living. So if it's an abundant life that overflows, exceeds, and goes beyond what is natural, if it is a life that is superior in quantity, in quality, then what does it look like for us? If I am to hold something of eternity in my hand now, what is it that I should expect to have? If you like lists, and I kind of do like lists myself, then there's a whole list, my friends, of what you and I have as a result of what Jesus' coming did for us. It is a life of having. I'm going to break it down according to some of the books of the Bible where we can read about what we have. In Colossians It says, having made peace through the blood of his cross by himself to reconcile all things to himself. That is the life that we have. It is having forgiven us of all of our trespasses. It's having nourishment ministered to every part of us, spirit, soul, and body. In Ephesians, it's having been predestinated to be made like Jesus, having made known, having the mystery of his will known to us. It's having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the the hatred, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances that was against us to make in himself one new man from two. It's having, this is what we have, friends. It's having reconciliation with God. It's having the spots and the wrinkles of life removed from us to be presented wholly before God. It's having on the armor of God by which we're able to stand. In the book of Philippians, it's having in our hands, in our minds, the same mind that he had in himself, a mind that thinks of others first and that can grow and that can build them up. It's having the righteousness that comes from God alone and not our own track record. In Timothy's letters, it's having faith and a good conscience. It's having the promise of a better life to come. It's having food and clothes when we need to be content. In Hebrews, it's having eternal redemption. It's having boldness to enter in by a new and a living way. It's having a high priest who makes intercession for us before God. It's having a heart that's sprinkled from an evil conscience and bodies made pure and washed with clean water. It's having a good report of faith and it's having a better thing than those who lived under the old covenant had. I know that's a pretty long list, but that's not even all that we have that we are given to possess in abundant life. But I wanted to go through all of those simply to prove a point that this is the kind of life that we should expect. It's a life of righteousness. It's a life of peace. And it is a life of joy and contentment. 
In order to receive this and experience this kind of life, we have to believe that we can. That it's his heart to give it and that there's nothing that holds us back from it. When you and I begin to embrace this kind of life, then the life that we were once schooled in and ruled by will begin to be seen for what it actually is. Nothing more than a thief. Stay tuned in for more Moment with Miranda. Hey, thanks for joining back with me for this second part of Moment with Miranda and this week's moment that you might have life. In the first part of this moment together, we talked about God's desire for life, that he is life and he's the giver of it. Every life, both natural and spiritual, was desired and determined by God. We are natural people and we are spiritual people. Whether we choose to say yes to the new life that's available for us in Jesus really is totally up to us. But God's desire and his delight is to draw whosoever will to his side. The life that he gives us is not just the breath that's in our lungs right now that physically sustains our body, but it's also an abundant life where he fills every portion of spirit, soul, and body. He becomes our breath, literally the life force within every part, and he becomes the measure, and he freely gives of himself to us all things to enjoy. Our life in him is righteousness and it's peace and it is joy and contentment through the power of the Holy Spirit. For the rest of our time together, I want to focus again on the first part of John chapter 10 verse 10 and I want to look at the thief and his job. See, friends, there is an enemy that does not want us to experience what Jesus died so that we could receive. If he can't do anything about our eternal life once we found ourselves hidden with Christ and God, he'll do everything that he can to continue to steal, to kill, and to destroy what's available to him. And oftentimes, at least what I'm finding for me, it's my present victory, my present day, and the hope of my future. There is a life that's available in Christ in all places and in all seasons, but many times I fail to see it because I can be living in the past, stuck in what was or how things played out before, and I find that I'm being robbed of my present, the very life of today, and also my future. The desire to believe that God really wants good things for me. I was recently at a training, and part of the teaching was on this subject of the thief, and particularly the idea of robbery. It wasn't only applicable to the victims of sexual abuse, which was what the training was specialized for, but 
it also, in my mind, was applicable to anyone who has just lived life and experienced what can be robbed or taken from them. In one section, we talked about the difference between abuse and tribulation. You see, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to give life. But not every tough time that we encounter is a work of the devil. The tribulations and the trials and the hard things that come can be just a part of life. Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. But he said, be of good courage, for I have overcome the world. In the context that Jesus was speaking these words, it was right after he had been telling the disciples that they could expect persecution for the sake of his name. As his disciples, he was telling them that you shouldn't expect that all men are going to love you and want to hear your message. Don't think that everyone's going to like what you say, but go ahead and speak words of righteousness. Speak against the sin that they're committing, but say it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Say it as he is the one who stirs up the truth in his spirit within you. He'll lead you into truth and he'll give you the power and the wisdom to say what it is that he wants you to say and how you can say it in that time. It's the spirit of truth that will tell you righteousness and judgment and sin. And there will be times, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He's saying there's going to be times when you feel alone. And at times you might be alone for the sake of my name, but you're not alone. You can ask and you can receive what you need when you need it. These tribulations and the trials for the sake of the word, they make us strong. They produce endurance and they produce perseverance and they solidify the testimony that we have declared before many people. They don't rob us of anything but fear. In fact, we fight through the fear into believing faith. It's pushing through by faith. And these tribulations and these trials, they actually work in us the true life of Christ that cannot be taken away. In the times where it seems like we should be pressed to destruction, the life of Christ says, I may be pressed, but I'm not destroyed. I may be cast down, but I'm not forsaken or abandoned. Christ is there in me. And they teach us abundant life really in the midst of the mess of life. However, there are things that do come to rob us. There are things that are trying to be robbed from us. And Jesus said, the one who doesn't enter in to my sheepfold by the door, but comes in another way is a thief and a robber. I find it interesting that Jesus uses two different words that seem to have the same meaning, you would think, in English, but they actually don't. In the Greek, the word for thief is the word kleptas. It means to take away by stealth. It's somebody who embezzles, 
It's somebody who betrays the confidence of someone that was entrusted to them, the confidence that someone put in them for the means of their own gain, not for the benefit of that person, but purely for their own benefit. That's what a thief is, one who works under stealth. A robber is the Greek word lestas, and that means to plunder or to steal openly. I see it as kind of the picture of a pirate. When pirates would come to raid a ship, they weren't doing it by stealth. They were coming full board. They were swinging on their ropes over into the ship that they were planning to plunder and to rob of. It was a raid that was done in the open. So we can see through the use of these two words that evil comes at us two different ways. It can be open and it can be blatant right out in our face, kind of like Goliath saying, come at me. And then there's that evil that can be stealthy and it's a secret approach. Sometimes it's open, robbing us openly of health and of finances and of relationship. Death is an open enemy, a robber of our lives. These are assaults that often we cannot avoid. They're evident to all and they leave us reeling and exposed. But then other times we see where the enemy uses the stealth approach. He takes on the form of something or someone trustworthy. But he tries to do things in an underhanded way that are only for the benefit of other of that person only for the benefit of what they would want and desire at the time. It's not about helping others. It's not about growth, but rather about helping themselves. And the aim is the same. It's exposure and it's shame. Jesus said that this is the kind of thief that comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And there are these secret tactics that the enemy will try to use against the abundant life in Jesus and the peace and security of the sheep that are in the sheepfold. What is the purpose of a thief in the sheepfold? Is it just to stir up the sheep and get them all rowdy? Or is the purpose to pick them off one by one? The way that this often happens is not this bold raid on the pen where you see that it's going on and these sheep are just taken and run away with, but rather a lot of times it's by smooth words and it's by a deceiving tongue. And they're words that sound familiar and they sound reasonable, but they don't have the effect of life and of peace. This is what the serpent used when he spoke to Eve. These are the words that seek to stand up against the words of God. They try to make the word of man more powerful than the word of God. The serpent was getting Eve alone so that he could make his word more powerful or more reasonable than the word that God said. He set the trap. One bite, in one bite, she and Adam had life and peace stolen from them. 
they were reduced immediately. Immediately, their relationship with God was taken. And then their relationship with one another was taken. And then their relationship with the land that was supposed to be pure and enjoyable now was work. And all of this happened because they failed to listen to the voice of their good shepherd. Remember, friends, the voice of the shepherd brings addition to your life. It brings abundance to your life. Whereas what happened in the garden is the voice of the serpent stripped down Adam and Eve to nothing. Thankfully, we see that God in his goodness restored mankind to life and peace through Christ. But until we're with him one day, we still have the exposure to this serpent and this thief who would come to rob us of the very life and peace that Jesus said was ours. And that right out from under our noses. So what are some ways that the thief comes at us now? If he can't take my eternal life, what can he take? And where, where do I have to put my foot down to refuse to allow him to have any more ground? See, some of the places that I see that the thief has come to rob of is the place of innocence and identity, the place of joy and the place of a hopeful future. Of course, this is not an exhaustive list, even though thinking just about those things being taken can be exhausting. But these are a few that, for the sake of this moment together, I want to focus on for a few more minutes. See, one of the first places that the enemy attacks us and tries to steal from us is our innocence, simply our pure heart of believing faith. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 3, Jesus said, Except you be converted and become as little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. When we come to the knowledge of Jesus, we come to him simply on pure belief. We don't know why he loves us. We don't know how. I can't understand and comprehend the God of the universe seeing and reaching down to me. But because he says that he does, something inside of me says, yes, I believe him. And we take this risk on believing that what he said is true. And even though we are the vilest of sinners, even if it's at six years old when we receive Christ, very simply, we step out and with blind boldness, we say yes to him without much need of proof beyond his word. It's kind of like when your father says to you, jump into his arms and you jump just believing that he's going to catch you because that's your dad and he's going to be there for you. We have no reason to not believe that he'll catch us. That kind of faith pleases the heart of God. It's innocence in its purest form. And in Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 and 15, there was this group of little children that were brought to Jesus just to have him lay his hands on them and pray for, for them. But his disciples came and, and tried to get, they rebuked the people for bringing those children to Jesus. And Jesus said, allow the children to come. Don't forbid them, my presence, for of such or as these is the kingdom of heaven composed. 
as these little children, innocent and longing for the presence of Jesus, that's what heaven is made up of. In the same way that blind faith pleased Jesus, so does believing faith. The kind of faith that believed it was okay to bring a group of children to the master to be prayed for. Even though in the eyes of mankind, maybe they weren't as valuable as others. It pleased him because they believed that he was good. It was a faith that saw he was interested in everyone, and all were worthy of his attention. It was the believing faith that no one was disqualified from being able to come into his presence and simply to be touched by him. This is such pure and simple faith. It is a faith that is untainted and untouched by life, and someone else's failure someone else's judgment or assessment of life. It's a faith that's grounded on love, believing and bearing all things, hoping all things and enduring all things. This is the love that God has for us. It's a love that believes in us. It's a love that bears with us. It's a love that hopes all good things of us. And it's a love that patiently perseveres with us. It only gets changed for us when just once someone who says, jump, I'll catch you, moves away and fails to keep their word. This simple childlike faith changes when those who are placed over us to protect us take advantage of our purity of heart, just our simplicity of faith. It changes when we're taught that not everyone is the same and there is some, there are some that are more important than others. This misrepresentation of Jesus steals the faith, simple faith in him and our trust that he really is good. As much as the people in our lives can cause this innocence to be stolen and faith to be misplaced, where the enemy continues to rob us is when we allow other people to be the measure of who Christ really is above his own words assessment of him. Rather than trust him, we feel like we have to trust ourselves and hold on to this sense of control only to realize we never had it to begin with. The only control that worked was our yes, giving in to him in simple, pure faith. And this is still what he desires and brings him joy. It's true that the things of life that have happened to us are not always fair. At times there was injustice. There were things that should have had, things I should have had that I didn't get. But if Christ came to give me abundant life and that life is in him, then it's my pure and simple trust that I must refuse to give up in spite of what others have done to me or said about me. I must take in my hand my heart of believing and refuse to allow the one who once stole to steal anymore. It is out of the heart that belief is found, friends. Out of our mouths is what comes a true belief of our heart. And the scripture says, above all, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. 
without faith and apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. So this simple, innocent, trusting faith brings him joy. Another place that the thief would come to try to steal and kill and destroy is in our identity. This is, of course, so closely linked with innocence and trust because it's simple faith that's required to believe the truth about who we really are. For most of my life, people have called me by the wrong name. Not used to Miranda because it wasn't a name typically heard while I was growing up. I've had people call me everything. Mariah, Romanda, and so many times, Amanda. It's not really that big of a deal except that I have always wondered and struggled with believing that I was seen. And each time my name is forgotten, missed, or botched, I fight with feelings of mattering and value. As a young child, I did what I learned would get me positive attention from good grades to captaining sports teams, doing my best at that. I made a name in those things. I also learned what would get me negative attention, such as failure and sin. So I did my best to avoid failure at all costs, even avoiding things, trying things for fear of failing because somehow that was a measure of who I was. And of course, I did my best to avoid sin as much as I knew what was right and wrong. I didn't want my name hooked with those things. And truthfully, neither one was because I didn't want to fail or sin, but rather, I was afraid of what it meant if I did, the consequences of what would happen. My image, my identity, where I thought that I mattered, would be tarnished. This basic failure to know that I was accepted and loved as a daughter simply for who I was is not something that I hold my family responsible for. For how can you give to someone or call out of someone that which you don't know yet for yourself? What I found, though, was that there were second-class ways to get identity. And I worked to earn it through performance and through, I thought, perfect obedience. It should be no surprise then that I looked at my identity in God from this same standard, that I would be seen and loved and accepted if I performed well and obeyed perfectly. I would be a good Christian and do what I should do. I would be willing to go where no one else would go and give what no one else was willing to give just to prove that I could be an obedient, sold-out servant. I trusted my identity and God's goodness to my performance, but no matter how hard I tried, I never had peace and a sense of joy in my life, unsure if I had done enough to prove my worth. This is a basic need for any who come to receive the life of Christ, the need of real identity. Whether we realize it or not, we live under a pseudo-identity given to us by the world and what they think, by our family and what they think, by ourselves and what we think, and even by those we trust and what they think. 
Before we know it, we're living lives according to what we think everyone else knows we are rather than becoming who God said we are. Even after we come to Christ, we can spend years trying to establish and fight for what we already have, complete love and acceptance in him. Friends, this is something that we must hold on to with all that we have, that we will not be robbed of the hope that was given to us as the children of God in the inheritance that he says is ours. What we receive for abundant life is not now, nor will it ever be based on what we do or what we've done. It's not based on what we have accomplished or what we have avoided, our identity and positions as sons and daughters come from Jesus alone. The thief has no right to that inheritance and joint heirship with Jesus. It's mine. It's yours. Bought and paid for. Don't be persuaded out of it. And friend, don't take less than it. Another place where I see that the thief comes to steal in my life is to steal my joy. When I lose innocent trust in Jesus, I begin to call my identity into question. And before I know it, as issue of life after issue of life comes, as persecution for the sake of the word comes, as heartaches happen, I begin to call into question the very goodness of the one who gave me life. I begin to question to the point, the whole point of this life that he's given to me. I begin to see it less as life and more as the rat race. (laughs) One preacher calls it the daily grind. But are we really to live the daily grind or do we wake up every day? This is what he asks to live for the name of Jesus. If life is always a grind, then where is the joy that we can have in Jesus? I used to think that joy meant that I walk around with a smile on my face all the time, a smile that the joker would be envious of. But that's not true joy, friends. Joy does not mean that I have to be happy all the time. Joy doesn't mean that I have to have answers all the time. What joy means is that I can be content sometimes in the not knowing. I may not always have what I could want, but the promise is that I'll have what I need. And I may not always understand all that comes at me, but I have the answer of the presence of God with me. It was the joy before Jesus that made him gladly bear the cross. Not that he was happy in his humanity to do it and endure the pain, but rather he was content in knowing what was temporary would be eternal joy for as many as would receive it. The thief will come to steal and to kill and destroy the joy that Jesus came to give us. So we have to be on guard against those subtle attacks to question the character of the one who has called us his own. When my innocence has been robbed and my identity stolen, when my joy is no longer there because I've lost sight of the life giver, the last thing that the thief comes to take is my hope-filled future. If I can't trust and I'm unsure of my position and who I am, 
my joy begins to wane and I can't seem to see anything other than where I've been and what I'm feeling right now. Based on that alone, my future tends to look bleak. If the enemy steals my hope, then he has stolen my future. To the Jewish nation who found themselves away from home, captive in a pagan land and stripped of their own land, their family and their inheritance, the prophet Jeremiah wrote these words. He said, God speaking, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good, and they're not for evil. Plans, thoughts to give you a hope and a future. One of the most simple verses, often quoted and yet stolen from many who cannot believe it. In the natural, these people looked like they should have no hope. They had no joy. They had no identity. Their trust was waning. And yet Jeremiah said, don't stop believing. Don't look at what you see. Look at the one who sees you and allow him to stir your heart to believe again. The one who robbed from you will steal from you no more. Friends, if there's anything that we can learn from the nation of Israel and the lives of many chronicled in the books of the Bible is that the ones who overcame did so because they refused to continue to be stolen from. It's true that the thief did come. Sometimes it was an all-out plunder right before their eyes, and other times it was a stealthy attack from the side or from behind. And yet regardless, there came a day when they had to believe the God who called them and had been with them. They had to refuse to allow the enemy and the one that robbed them to steal any more hope or future. If they could believe God, the one who gave them life without having the indwelling power of his spirit available to them, then how can we not? There is a time for passivity and meekness, but there is also a time for action and boldness to refuse to allow the one who once stole to continue to steal the abundant life that Jesus came to give each and every one of us. So in this moment today, my friends, what is the enemy seeking to rob of you? What has he already taken that you need to reclaim in Jesus' name? Hold on to your heart of trust, pure and simple belief, your identity that is rooted and grounded in Christ, the promise of a joy, content-filled life, and a hope-filled future. Refuse to allow your present and your future to be stolen because of wounds of the past or subtle attacks in the present. Jesus came that you might have life. One day and today. And that life is to be an abundant, overflowing filled with gratitude and thanksgiving, full of his goodness kind of life. A life that produces peace and righteousness wherever it goes. Jesus came that you might have life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is powerful and it is effective. That it goes down into 
the very heart of our believing, and it breathes life to dead places. I pray that even now the hearts of those who hear this message, that they would be made quickened, made alive to believe again. I call out identity, that they are your children, that they do have life in you, that there's joy to be had in the moments of today, and that there is a future filled with hope and goodness and joy because our future is you, Jesus. I thank you in your mighty name. Amen. Friends, I really hope that you enjoyed this moment today. I have to say I really enjoyed talking it out with you. I pray that you're blessed and that you'll join me again next time for another moment with Miranda.